Well, it's great to have you all here with us this morning for our our first service here at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley. We want to get to know all of you, and like Pastor Lucas talked about, we'll be launching life groups in February. That's going to be such a huge part of our church because we're not really doing church if our chairs are just side by side. We want to get them face to face. We want to get face to face with, with a lot of you and get to know you. Uh, that's such an important part of our church, and this is our first service. I'm sure we'll get better and better at things every week, even just with setting up and how things go, but we are so glad that you are here. And and the community that we want to see built here at this church, we want to see it centered on one thing. Even if you take your bulletin this morning, if you look at the back, you'll see the eight distinctives of Compass Bible Church. And and right there, the first one that you're going to see is distinctive number one, the Bible is central. We want the Bible at the middle of everything that we're doing. Our church services, our life groups, our lives, our relationships. God's word should be central because we know that the Bible teaches that this is not just a book that was written by men. This is the word of God. God wrote a book. He used men to do it, and he's preserved it for thousands of years so that we could know him, so that we could know the truth. And that's why at our church, distinctive number two is that we showcase expository preaching. Expository preaching is a kind of pre- preaching that just focuses on explaining what the Bible says, opening up the Bible to a text and saying, what does this mean, and, and what difference does it make in our lives? Because the last thing that we need is to go sit and listen to somebody share their ideas or their wisdom or their best thoughts. What we need in our world is to hear from God. What does God have to say? And so what we want to do every week as we gather, we want to dig in to God's word. Because if we really believe everything that we say we believe about the Bible, we would be crazy to do anything else. If we really believe that this is the word of God, why wouldn't we want to open it up, dig into it, find out what it says so we can know the truth from God? So we want to dive right into this morning. The first thing we're going to do together as a church is we're going to go through the book of Colossians. So I'd invite you to take your Bible and open it up to the book of Colossians. And I want to read the first eight verses for us this morning. That's where we're going to start We're going to spend the the first four weeks of our church going through these first eight verses of the book of Colossians as we start finding out what God has to say through this book. So in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, follow along as I read. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf 
and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So as you can see there, the book of Colossians isn't really just a book, it's, it's a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul and his protege, his right-hand man in ministry, Timothy, wrote to the Christians, wrote to the Church of Christ in a city called Colossae, which if you were trying to find that today, it'd be right in the middle of the country of Turkey. Wasn't, you know, the biggest, fanciest city around, but there was believers there and Paul cared about them. And so he writes them this letter and it starts, as you can see, by him giving thanks. He says, I thank God every time I pray for you. Why is he giving thanks? He lists out three things. Because of their faith in Christ Jesus, because of the love that they have for all the saints, and because of the hope that they have in heaven. What gets the Apostle Paul excited when he hears about a church? When he hears that that church is full of faith and love and hope. And those are words that come up often in the Bible. You're probably familiar with a verse, maybe you've heard it at weddings, from 1 Corinthians 13 that says, These three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. These are the things that God wants to see in churches. So as we think about, hey, this is a brand new church starting today. What do we want to see going on at Compass Bible Church? We want to see faith in Christ Jesus. We want to see love for all the saints. And we want to see a great hope in heaven. Those are the things that God wants to see in us. So we want to take the first three weeks even and just focus on those three things. Faith, love, and hope. And today we want to zero in in verse 4, just on that phrase where Paul talks about, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. What is he talking about? Why does that get him so excited? When you think about the word faith, uh, still even in our culture today, for the most part, that has positive connotations. People would think of having faith as a virtuous thing. And it's common for people to tell other people in our society, hey, you just got to have faith. But the next time you hear that, whether somebody's telling you that, whether there's some TV personality telling you that, or even if there's a pastor telling you that, there's a question you need to ask in response. Even if you're walking through the grocery store and George Michael comes on singing to you, you just got to have faith. I want you to look up at the speakers and say, faith in what? That's the question that we all have to ask because we all know that faith is only as good as its object. Your trust is only as good as whatever it is that you're trusting in. And that's point number one this morning. If you're taking notes, there's a note sheet there in your bulletin and I'd love for you to follow along that way. Point number one this morning is realize that faith is only as good as its object. Realize that faith is only as good as its object. Faith by itself is not a virtue. There are some things that people should not have faith in. You you probably had conversations with people where they've got some delusional idea that's dominating their lives that's just not true, and you wish they would let it go. There's a story of two men who were in in a boat that was caught in some rapids in a river, and it was heading towards a waterfall. And the two men in the boat were trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. Some men were on the shore, and so they threw a rope out to the boat to try to help the men. It wasn't the most impressive rope in the world, but they threw it out, and they were holding on on the shore. And one of the men grabbed a hold of it. 
in, in the panic of the moment, the other man noticed a, a substantial log floating by the boat. And he thought, that looks strong, that looks safe. So he grabbed onto that log with everything that he had. The man who grabbed the rope was eventually pulled to the safety of the shore. The man who grabbed the log, he went over the falls. He was never seen from, never seen or heard from again. It, it doesn't even matter how strong your faith is if your faith isn't in the right thing. It doesn't matter how hard that man was holding on to that log, that log was going downstream. And his faith was misplaced. The object of your faith is even more important than the strength of your faith. So I want all of you to think about yourselves this morning and ask yourself, where is your faith this morning? Other ways to think through that is, why do you live the way that you live? What gets you out of bed in the morning? As you think about the future even, what's going to happen when you die someday? Where is your faith? What are you trusting in? Because a lot of people have put their faith in the wrong places. A lot of people in our day and age put their faith in money. They think, if I have enough in the bank, whatever happens, I'll be okay. But we all know that money can't really secure the most important things even in life. If you're following the news this week, the richest man in the world is going through a divorce. Having more money probably than everybody in this room put together a hundred times over, that can't secure him a, a healthy marriage. Money can't do it. And that's not even to say what happens when we die and we stand before God. Nobody's going to be writing him a check on that day. People often put faith in other people. And when that lets you down, the crash can be hard and you're so disappointed in somebody else. Probably the most commonplace, the mantra of our age, people want you to put faith in yourself. Just believe in yourself is what the world tells you and sure there, there's some place where self-confidence can be useful if you're starting a new business i hope you believe you can do it if you're a chargers fan this afternoon and they're down by four points with one minute left and they're taking the field you better hope that the coach and the quarterback and the players are walking out they're saying we can do it yes there's times where it's appropriate to believe in yourself but not when it comes to the most important things in life not when it comes to the spiritual things in life. When it comes to those things, Christianity, our whole faith, begins with rejecting this idea of yes, you can, and realizing no, I can't. I can't just be good. I can't overcome my failures and my faults, the things that the Bible would call sin. C.S. Lewis once said, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. We just can't do it. And that's not just in this life. What happens when you die and stand before God? How are you going to make it to heaven? Christianity starts by realizing, I can't. I can't be good enough. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. We can't trust ourselves. That's why we're in this mess. Our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam and Eve, 
fell into sin. And we've plunged right in with them, thinking we can figure it out, thinking we can be good, we can do what's right. And if we look in the mirror, if we look in the newspaper, we should be reminded every day, we can't. We can't do it. We can't put our trust in ourselves. So then where do we put our trust? What should the object of our faith be? Well, our passage here in Colossians is crystal clear where that faith should go. He rejoices and he thanks God when he prays. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That is where your faith needs to be, in Christ Jesus. Thankfully, the Bible tells us all about who Jesus is. Even that name, Christ, it's not Jesus' last name. It's a title. And Christ is really just the Greek way to say the Hebrew word, Messiah. So Messiah and Christ, same word, two different languages. And it carries this idea of being the anointed one. Or maybe in modern pop culture, you, you see the you know, idea of somebody being the, the, the chosen one. That it was foretold this person was come. Jesus, there was foretold all throughout the Old Testament. There was an anointed one who was going to come. The ultimate son of David that was coming. The whole Old Testament points forward to a savior. And then the New Testament makes crystal clear who that Savior is. It is Jesus. He is the Son of God. And Colossians is going to help us understand the answer to the question, who is Jesus? It's going to tell us. It's going to tell us that He is fully God. John chapter 1 says, The Word, who, who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus, even though He's existed forever, what we celebrate at Christmas time is the incarnation. That He took on flesh and became a man. And then he lived that perfect life that you're trying to live and failing at, the perfect life that we can't live, Jesus lived it. He fulfilled all of God's righteous requirements. He faced all the temptations that you and I have faced and failed, and he succeeded. And then he died on the cross, and the Bible makes it clear why he did that. It wasn't just setting a good example. He died on the cross for our sins. That our sins deserve to be punished. And because God is a just God, he's not just going to sweep things under the rug. Just like you're glad that our criminal justice system doesn't just say, ah, you you murdered someone, it's fine, it's not a big deal. Sin will be punished. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins, to take that punishment for us, and then he rose again. The ultimate proof that everything he said about himself, everything he claimed that he was doing was true. He really was the Son of God. He really did have the power to forgive sins. And I don't know about you, but I don't just need forgiveness from my sin. I need freedom from it. I need a new power at work within me to help me live differently. When Jesus rose again, Scripture says that same power is now at work in the lives of believers, to help us live a new life. And the Bible makes it clear he is alive right now. He is coming back. Jesus Christ is and should be the object of our faith. And the Bible makes it clear that forgiveness that he offers, how do you get that? How do you say, okay, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose again so I can be free from sin. I can have a hope in heaven. How do I get that? The most famous Bible verse around tells us that. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes 
in him should not perish but have eternal life. That word believe, it's just the, the verb form of the noun we're talking about, faith. If you have faith in Christ, you will not perish. You will have everlasting life. So we know where the object of our faith should be, but now we get at a different question. What is faith? Believe in Jesus? What does that mean? Mark Twain once said, faith is believing what you know ain't so. You know, faith is the stuff of Santa Claus and the the tooth fairy. Believing in something you know isn't real. Faith is the stuff of, you know, Cleveland Browns fans getting themselves psyched up saying, this is the year we're going to win the Super Bowl, even though it's never happened. But we're going to cross our fingers and hope for it. That's what a lot of people think faith is. That's exactly not what the Bible says faith is. If you're there in Colossians, I'd invite you to turn with me to a chapter in the Bible that's all about faith. Hebrews chapter 11. If you turn to the right towards the end of the Bible, you'll find the book of Hebrews. And in chapter 11, you'll see over and over and over again this phrase, by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, over and over and over again. And it begins by defining the term. What in the world are we talking about when we talk about faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is being confident in the truth of something, even though you haven't seen it. So faith in Christ Jesus starts with, I believe that all those things we said about Jesus are true. I believe he is the Son of God. I I believe he died on the cross for my sins after living the perfect life. I believe he rose again. I believe he can forgive me and change me. Faith starts there, but that's not where it ends because faith is so much more than that. Sure, if I passed out a true-false test to everybody in the room today that said Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus died on the cross for sins, faith starts with being able to say, yes, those things are true. But do you know who else could ace that true-false test? James chapter 2 says every demon in hell could ace that true and false test. They know exactly who Jesus is. They, in that sense, believe that that he is the Son of God, that he died on. They know those things. So we know faith is more than just, yes, I'm going to check the box and say that's true. So what does it look like? Well, it's Think about it this way. Let's say you're on a ship. And let's just say that ship just so happens to be named the Titanic. So you know how this goes down. Like, literally, it it goes down. (laughs) And so you're not on a ship anymore. Now you're in the water. And you're freezing. And you are trying to stay afloat. And then you see there, a little ways from you, you see a life ring in the water. And you look at it and you see from the life ring there's a rope and you follow the rope and it's leading to a lifeboat where they're pulling people out of the water into the safety of the boat. What does faith in the life ring look like in that moment? Sure, it starts with believing, yes, that is a life ring. Yes, it's attached by a rope to a boat with room for me. Yes, this can save me. That's where it starts. What does faith in the life ring look like? 
It looks like grabbing hold of the life ring and holding on for dear life. That's what faith looks like. Faith then leads you to an action. Faith leads you to embrace the life ring in that moment. Well, when God looks at a sea of humanity drowning in sin, he didn't throw in a life ring. He sent his son. And he doesn't call us to grab on for dear life to some you know, floaty piece of styrofoam. He invites us to grab hold of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so point number two, what everyone in this room needs to do is embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. You've got to reach out and grab hold of him, realizing he's the only way that you're going to be saved. And I want to ask all of you here today, are you sure that you have done this? Do you know that your faith is in Christ? And even have you made that second step from moving from, yes, I believe these facts. If you gave me a true false test, I would check the right boxes. Have you moved from that to, I've grabbed a hold of him. And the Bible makes it clear, if you have grabbed a hold of Christ, your life is going to show it. A lot of people are comfortable being close to Jesus. Being just close enough to the life ring to know that it's there if you need it. Or to switch the analogy, a lot of people are willing to let Jesus ride shotgun. They're comfortable bringing him into the car. They like listening to his advice every now and then. But again, that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith pulls over, takes the keys out of the ignition, and hands him over and says, Jesus, you're in control now. You're calling the shots. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead. That's biblical faith. Have you crossed over that line? And, and there's a lot of reasons why people are comfortable being close to Jesus, but not in taking that next step. I think one common reason is people don't realize that they need it. They don't know that they're drowning in an icy ocean. They think they're just you know, floating in some lagoon in the Bahamas. They think everything is fine. But the Bible makes clear everything is not fine when it comes to our relationship with God. And if you think that's true, there's, there's one or two or maybe both of these things are going to happen to you. One is your sin will find you out. And there will be a moment where your sin that you're holding on to or you're keeping secret in your life, it's going to blow up in your face. You're going to have a guilty conscience that you can't shake. Some secret is going to get exposed. There's going to be some consequence in your life. And then you're going to feel it. Or even if that never happens, someday you will stand before Jesus as he sits on his throne as the judge. And the Bible makes it clear, everyone who stands before Jesus, they don't feel really good about themselves. When they see the perfect and holy one, the, the standard reaction in Scripture is they fall on their face. And even lots of times they start talking about, I am unclean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to stand before Jesus. But the good news is we don't have to wait until our sin blows up in our face. We don't have to wait until we're falling on our face before the judge. The offer is right here, right now. 
believe in Christ, and you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. Some people, I think, they don't grab a hold of the life ring, so to speak, because they realize, if I grab hold of that life ring, I'm going to have to go wherever they pull me. If I, give, if I embrace Christ, I'm going to have to go where he leads. They understand if I do that, I realize that means from now on, Jesus Christ calls the shots in my life. There's a lot of people that just aren't comfortable with that. We need to then dig deeper into our understanding of faith. And I know there's many of you in this room this morning, you've put your faith in Christ. You have embraced him as Savior and Lord. But then what we need to understand about faith is while the Bible makes it crystal clear we are saved by faith, it's not by works that we do, salvation isn't just the starting line of the Christian life. Faith is the whole racetrack. Faith isn't just the front door to the house of Christianity. The whole house is a house of faith. That's why we even called the message this morning, Faith, the Core of Christianity. I became a Christian 21 years ago this month. And I remember in those first few years of being a, a young Christian, there was one thing that just kept bothering me and I couldn't get my head around. Because I, was, I would understand, okay, we're saved by faith. It's not by works. I can't go out and you know, read my Bible enough to, to be a Christian. I can't earn my way to heaven. But I also knew that the Bible teaches faith without works is dead. If I say I believe, but I'm not following Christ, I'm fooling myself. So I'm not saved by works, but if I'm not doing these works, I'm not saved. And, and I would just tie my head in knots thinking about that and, and being like, okay, then, then why do I do the good works? I don't do them to be saved, but if I don't do them, I'm not saved. Why do I do them? Well, if we really dig into scriptures, which is what I had people in my life help me do over the next several years of my life, we see that well, there's lots of answers to that question. But there's one word right in the middle of those answers. Why do we do good works? Why do we follow Christ? Faith. Because we believe Jesus. We trust him. I've got a few passages. I want you to see how clear this is in Scripture. The first one is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I think we got these to put up on the screen. The Apostle Paul again says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Even some translations say, you know, it's from faith from first to last. As it is written, notice it doesn't just say the, the righteous are saved by faith. The Bible does say that other places. But here it says the righteous shall live by faith. Look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Or to put it really simply, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, 
not by sight. Point number three this morning, especially for those of you that know I have embraced Jesus, you need to then continue to show that you trust Jesus. Point number three, continue to show that you trust Jesus. That's not just a one-time thing you've done in the past, but every day you wake up, I'm gonna trust Jesus today. I'm gonna follow him. And faith is that motivator. If you're still there in Hebrews chapter 11, it starts talking about specific people. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. What motivated that? His trust in God. Chapter, or verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. What motivated him to walk so close with God that God just took him straight to heaven? His faith. He trusted him. And, and the key of it all is explained in verse six. Hebrews 11, verse six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Why do we follow Christ every day? It's not, it's not to earn our salvation. It's because we believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We believe that the Bible isn't lying when it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Faith is when you say, I'm convinced in every moment of my life, no matter what's going on, following Jesus in that moment is better than any alternative. No matter what's on the line. Keep reading Hebrews 11. You're going to find some people, they said, hey, in this moment, it's follow Jesus or die. And they said, in this moment, following Jesus is better than any alternative. Because they believed, they had faith in Christ Jesus. They believed that when he said things like, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. They said, I think that's true. And I'm going to bet my life on it. They had faith in Christ. All the amazing things we see in this chapter motivated by faith. What's going to motivate you to live for God this week? You trust Jesus. I have a five-year-old daughter, and so over the last five years, I've been undergoing a, a serious reacquaintance with Disney movies. I, I know all about the Disney princesses now, even more than I did when I was a kid growing up with two older brothers. And now I'm much more well-versed. And in the movie Aladdin, which I'm sure is familiar to many of you, Aladdin meets Princess Jasmine, but he's just a, a poor boy. But then he meets the genie who turns him into Prince Ali. But what gives him away to Jasmine so that she knows he's the same beggar from the streets? Well, it's when he's inviting her to come on a magic carpet ride with him and he's standing on the magic carpet and he reaches out his hand and he says, do you trust me? She says, yes, and she gets on. What you've got to realize is that every single day, you're in this series of moments going through things in your life and Jesus is right there saying, do you trust me? It's going to start tomorrow morning when that alarm clock goes off. If you're like me, as soon as that clock goes off, it's like all the anxieties of life just come rushing in. You start thinking about that meeting you're going to have at work today, or you start thinking about this financial situation, or you wake up and you feel this tickle in your throat and you say, oh no, I'm getting sick. And all the anxieties of life are rushing at you. 
And Jesus is right there saying, do you trust me? Do you believe that I can get you through all of this? Many of you in the room, when that alarm clock is going off tomorrow morning, it's going off at a specific time for a reason. Because I'm sure some of you here this morning, you're setting your alarm clock so you can wake up and spend time with Jesus. So that you can wake up, spend time reading the Bible and praying. And when that alarm clock goes off, it's not always like, sweet, quiet time, here we come. It's like, can I hit the snooze button? How many times do I really need to do that this morning? Jesus is right there saying, do you trust me? Do you believe that my word is better than gold? That the word of Christ is sweeter than honey? That it's worth every second of time you'll give to it? What's going to motivate you to spend time with God? Faith. That you trust in Christ. What about when temptation comes knocking this week? And you're tempted to just vent your anger or to give in to lust. Jesus is right there saying, do you trust me? Do you believe when I tell you that giving in to that temptation is just going to make things so much worse for you? And that follow me is, is the path to life and joy and peace? Do you trust me? That's the question that you have to answer. Why would you evangelize? Why would you risk an awkward conversation, putting yourself out on the line to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody? It comes down to, do you trust him? Do you believe even that he could use someone like you to make an eternal difference in somebody else's life? Do you believe that the message of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to save anyone? And and that faith, we need to keep feeding that faith. Even if you think about one thing sometimes I'm a little slow in is getting in the pool, right? My head tells me it's going to be so nice. It's going to be so refreshing. You're going to be so glad when you've done that. But then my flesh starts telling me, "Mm, it's a little cold. Are you sure you're not going to freeze to death? I mean, you know, I I know that's not true, but my flesh is, my feelings are pulling me away from what I know to be true. And sometimes I need that that, that push into the water. And we're going to all face that, those moments where Jesus is there saying, do you trust me? And we know in our heads, yes, I know, but our feelings and our flesh are like, eh, but eh, I don't know. And even one of the things we already talked about, spending that time with Christ, that's why we need to read the Bible. That's why we need to spend time praying with him because that's what's going to strengthen our faith to follow him. That's also why we need to be connected through a local church because we need brothers and sisters in Christ that when we're like, I know I need to get in the water, but it feels a little cold, they're going to say, yeah, you're going to be glad you did. And push you in. We all need that. That's why I even want to invite you this morning as we're starting this new church to throw yourself into the fellowship here at Compass Bible Church. If you're just visiting and you're plugged in at a, a faithful church somewhere, thanks so much for being with us this morning. I hope this message encourages you to be faithful at your church and highlights your need for that. But if you're looking for a church home, we want to invite you, join up with us as we run together and we live this life of faith. Talked to, even worked for several years with college students. And one year, one conversation I have with them 
Every year, August, I'm having all these conversations with people that are going out away to college for the first time, and they ask me, what's it going to be like? What do I need to do to be ready? And I always say the same two things. Make sure you're staying as close to God as you can by spending time with him every day through his word and through prayer, and make sure you're staying as close to God's people as you can through being involved in a local church. Those are the two most important things because your faith will suffer, maybe even die, without those things. We all need those things. And we need to remember that faith is not the starting point that, oh, I got faith down and now I've graduated from that and move on to something else. Faith is the whole ball game. Faith is the whole enchilada. The whole Christian life is by faith from beginning to end. It's an old hymn that puts it so great. It says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him, or and or. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Pray that one of the main things that happens through this church as we get started is that through it we would all receive grace to trust Jesus Christ more. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we come before you and we have a lot to thank you for this morning. God, we have so much to thank you for all the the ways that you've provided in setting up and establishing this church. God, we've got so much more to pray for. Lord, we want to reach people in this community. God, there's people in this community right now that aren't going to any church. They don't know Christ. God, many people even that probably have never even heard the, the full gospel. Lord, we want to pray that you would use us to reach them, that we would see people right now who are lost in sin come alive through faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has not taken that step, that has not grabbed a hold of the life ring, God, that has not fully put their trust in Christ, that today would be the day that they could know freedom from sin, forgiveness from sin, hope in heaven, all because of what Jesus has done. And God, that's really what it's all about. Everything that we hope to accomplish and do through this church is based on what he's done. He came into the world. He died on the cross. He rose again. He sent his spirit into this world to empower us to be his witnesses. So God, we pray that everyone that interacts with Compass Bible Church, that they would think more of Jesus Christ because of it. And that they would also just hold on tighter to his word. So God, we thank you so much again for this morning. And we ask, God, that you would do more than we could ask or imagine through this church for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, we want to thank you guys so much for being here this morning. We've still got donuts and coffee out in the cafeteria. And we'd invite you to move on out there and feel free to stick around. Again, we want to get to know you. We want to meet as many of you as you can. If you weren't able to fill out one of those guest information cards, I'd invite you to do that.
Give it to the Compass Connect table so we can follow up with you. Have a great day. We would love to see you again next Sunday. God bless you.